Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel, brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today, our conversation with our guest is a little bit different because while we do touch on travel, we're talking about a few other topics as well. And before I introduce the guest, just a quick reminder to please follow or subscribe to the podcast so you can get every episode as soon as it launches. Okay, now for the interview. Today on A Different Way of Traveling, we're chatting to someone who, well, let's just say I should have invited him to have been a guest a very, very long time ago. A man that I've known for almost, well, over 30 years, but have really become a lot closer to in the last six years or so. And someone who you should recognize because he is the person who very graciously agreed to read our introduction and our credits for us. We're going to chat a lot more about some of the work he does, but we've got a specific reason for asking him to speak to us today. So, Musa Zulu, eventually, welcome to a different way of traveling. (laughs) Thank you very much for inviting me, Lois. I've been waiting in line for quite some time. And I must say, when you say it, it, it should have been a long time ago, I do not know if you are taking us back to 1989 at university or in <laughs> 2005 where you were giving your tributes award. But it's been a long time and I'm so happy to be with you today, old friend. Well, it is really good to have you with us on the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to chatting to you today and allowing our listeners to learn a little bit about the remarkable man who is Musa Zulu. So maybe we should start. Maybe we should start at the basics. Yeah, well. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. yourself and your story? In introducing myself, I always emphasize that I'm divided into three categories, all of them which combine to make the person that I am. The first one is I am an artist. I started drawing in 1979 inspired by the cartoons of the legendary Jock Layden. Jock Layden used to work for the Daily News as a cartoonist. And as a child, I would look at these cartoons and think, wow, what is this? Because cartoon is not just about depicting people's faces. It's also about giving a summary to current affairs. So in many ways, I was not only just fascinated by his drawings, but I was also fascinated by how he would use art 
to communicate uh, about social realities. So that's number one. I'm an artist and I've been drawing now. If it's 2011, it means this is my 42nd year that I've been doing art. Number two, category number two, I write books. And this only comes about uh, later in my life. I was paralyzed in a car accident in 1995, just the year after South Africa uh, transformed into a democracy. I always say to people, Lois, that I was paralyzed at the right time. Number one, South Africa was changing and accommodating of diversity. Of course, disability was never given a corner, but it was a challenge to us as people with disabilities to say, how do we demarcate our own corner in, uh, with these changes? So I always say I was paralyzed at the same time, at, at the right time from that perspective, that I was introduced into a new life when my country itself was also dabbling with its own new systems and new ways of looking at things. And if you are a positive person that I always have been, if you can look at the signs of the times and say, well, uh, they are also communicating my numbers, then uh, you, 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 you sort of navigate yourself through the experience as every other person is navigating themselves through the changes. So that's number two. When I was paralyzed at the right time, it also then gave me the opportunity to tell my story. And the best way to tell your story in a changing society is always to record it. I recorded it as a form of a book, and it seems to it seems to 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 introduce not only me, but also the side of people with disabilities also wanting to find themselves through the changes. And the book became very very successful, and I followed it up with other books. We'll talk about it as we go through. Category number three is motivational speaker. Again, this. Uh, firmly anchored on the foundations of the art that I do and the books that I write. Because uh, you must remember, all of us are always inspired by certain individuals or certain sectors to follow certain directions. I've always been fascinated by how musicians literally take song out to the world. The first they do is they'll draft notes and there's art, Number two, they will record the music and take it to the bookshelves, call it writing the music. And after that, they will take it out on the road. So after drawing and writing, I then take these messages out on the road as a motivational speaker to say to people, hear it from the horse's mouth now that you have seen the drafts and the recordings. There is much more to it than just uh, taking those two pillars and combining them for people to see them in motion. There is also the element of wanting to represent. I've always believed that we should not only just be living a life, but representing certain symbols that have defined us as the, 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 the people that have been introduced. If I've already been introduced as a person with a disability, then I might as well use my words as symbols of my ability and stand in front of an audience to say, here it is, take it and uh, use it in your own uh, various ways. Because at the end of the day, the, the, the inspirational messages that we pass are not only just to, to represent the positive in our disability experience, but also to make other people sit up and listen and also learn from our experiences to also grapple with their own changes. So that is me in a, in a nutshell. I am an author, I'm a writer, and I'm also, no, I'm an artist, an author, and a motivational speaker. Yes. And you are also a husband and a father. 
And Oh, yes. I thought you were asking me to define myself in the context of work. I am also a proud husband and a loving father, or a loved father. You know, it's one of the worst that happens in society when we are disabled, is that people start uh, defining us as asexual. And that's where the problem begins, and that's where the, 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 the stereotype hurts the most. I remember in 1995 when my father, as a concerned parent, asked doctors, is he still going to be able to father the children? The answer was very quick, and the answer was very bleak. The answer was, most probably not. It's impossible for a person that has been disabled uh, in the way that he has, because I was, uh, my, my spinal cord was shattered at, uh, at uh, C4 level. And at C4 level, it's, 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 the, the, the story is not very good. Amazingly, with the years, I've discovered that sometimes our medical prognosis really closes doors to possibilities. Nature takes its own formation and nature does not come in straight lines. I said to you, the answer was straight and brief and bleak. Nature does not operate that way. It takes its own curves. And before you know it, you have not only healed uh, psychologically, but your body has also healed to a position where it can then duplicate itself through reproduction and give you continuity. So I am a very proud father from that perspective that at one point in time, I was almost incapable of taking that uh, direction. But I have, and it has brought me so much happiness. I got married in 2003, seven years after I was paralyzed. And again, that was an affront to the stereotype that says a woman not going to be attracted to a man with a disability because of all these uh, incapabilities that we seem to be making his headlines. But she fell in love with me in a wheelchair. We're still together today, 19 years later. Amazingly, we met on the 25th of uh, January 2002 and got married exactly a year later on the 25th of January 2003. Now, the thing about true love is true love then shows itself in these numbers that always seem to be colliding in a way that creates celebrations. So exactly after a year, a year after we met, we were saying I do. And exactly 18 years later, we've been blessed with a beautiful grown family of two beautiful daughters, Swazi, who is now going to be celebrating 19 next year, and Zianda, who is going to be celebrating 15 on this uh, on the 19th of September this year. We also had a third one, but God has always had his plans. Amazingly, we had named their Shalelwe, and Shalelwe in Zulu translates to uh, the one planned for, if you are translating it to English, the one planned for, Shalelwe. But amazingly, God then revealed himself that it was always going to be his plan in as far as our union was concerned and took the little one on the very same day that she was born. Now, that's a blessing, because again, God shows himself to you after he has blessed you too. Just to say, even though doctors said you might never have any, you are going to have many, but I'm going to be choosing any that I choose at any point in time. I've always looked at life in the positive. It taught us that 
and brought us together as a family. And today we're still standing. That's a a strong and a, a faithful way of of reflecting on that. So that's given us a more of an a picture of who Musa is as as a man and as a a, a human. Let's start looking in a little more detail and finding out a little bit more. So you are a highly celebrated visual artist in Southern Africa. I am yes. a very proud recipient of one of your beautiful artworks myself. And yes. I know that you've been doing some remarkably auspicious work recently. Tell us about some of your recent artworks. Ah, yes. Uh, when, when, when I remember back in 1999 uh, that I was speaking to my uncle and I said to him, I now want to take the, the, uh, this art uh, thing to a different level. And he said to me, where exactly do you want to take it? And I said, I would love one day, not just to have an art exhibition, but to have my artwork on both sides of a red carpet. Are you understand what I'm trying to say? In other words, where models can literally catwalk along this uh, this red carpet flanked by my arts, uh, by, by my artworks framed on easels on both sides. And he laughed and he said, such is possible if you believe, and such is possible if you start planning towards making your beliefs a reality. Amazingly, exactly 22 years later, that's exactly what has happened. On the 10th of June, Standard Bank, uh, together with the KZN Top Business Portfolio, had awards. Uh, these awards are annual. And at the beginning of the year, they approached me and said, Mosa, we would like you to draw artwork that is going to be presented to the winners. And I said, wow, amazingly, this is exactly the dream that I've been holding on to, that one day it will surely come true, and there it is. The only difference is uh, Standard Bank does not have a red carpet, they have a blue carpet. But still, it's one and the same thing, blue or red. I mean, if it's Standard Bank, then it can be any color. The carpet is still uh, what we call this thing, uh, the, the prestige that the image of the bank is. So it came to pass that on the 10th of June, the, uh, the artwork that I had been commissioned to develop were presented to these winners. And I'm not just talking about the ordinary. I've said to you, the coordinators of that initiative are Standard Bank, number one, and number two, the KZN Top Business Portfolio. So we're looking at an, uh, well-entrenched uh, corporates that were presented with this artwork. And what made me even happier was when photographs were sent to me and just like in the vision that I had when I was talking to my uncle back in 99, it was exactly like that. There were my artwork. I will send you this picture so that your, your listeners can also uh, have, have, a, have, a, have a visual of what I'm talking about. There were my artwork lining up this, red, uh, this, this, this blue carpet. And I thought to myself, this is what dreams are made of. It begins with a child literally visualizing themselves in future. And someone, and this was my uncle in that case, saying to them, that's a powerful vision. 
but power comes with action. Action yourself and actioning myself, meaning over these years, I've literally been pouring myself into developing my delivery, number one, to a point where I could easily say or proudly say, I found my signature in art. Because as artists, you will be surprised that many always talk about the markets. Artists are always looking for markets. Artists are looking for opportunities to exhibit their artworks and have a following. That is secondary to us as artists. The main dream is signature, where a person can literally look at your work outside your name and they know by simply looking at the piece that this is Musa Zul and no other person can do it this way. So my uncle gave me that belief that if you really have a vision and someone else looks at the vision and says, this makes sense, simply go out and action it and one day such a vision will become a reality and mine did come a reality on the 10th. Well, that's a wonderful story and such an important message because you're mm-hmm. right, you know, without action, without time and effort and work, a dream remains elusive and out of reach, but with action. With no, not, only, not only elusive, it, it remains words. Yes. And words, unfortunately, pass. And the moment you record it, and this is where trialing your style in many different ways, practicing, which is what we are always told makes perfect, going out there in search of opportunities and literally sometimes allowing people to dictate to you as to what exactly has to happen. Because all of us are talented and can always draw something. But it's a different case when people sit with you to say, this is what we want and this is where we want you to take it. You have the liberty to be as, as, as artistic, as creative as you want to be. But at the end of the day, the brief is this and the brief should be respected. Now, what I've enjoyed about uh, my development as an artist is that I've opened myself to all of these angles. Where number one, I can always shoot from an angle of personal inspiration. This is when, say, a friend says, draw me an artwork, uh, anything that you want. Or I'm set on my own and thinking, this is a beautiful thought that I'm entertaining. Why don't I uh, record it in an, art, in, a, in, in, in an artwork? Now, there's something different from a corporate or organizers of the events, uh, of this event, the awards, as it uh, happened on the 10th, sit down with you to say, you are not only just drawing out of inspiration, but so-and-so has won this award and so-and-so is all about this. We need to create an artwork that does not only show the portrait of the individual or the face of the individual, but all of these experiences as well, communicated in one and the same piece. I love it that from that perspective, then you can stand to be judged. You can't necessarily judge me about my inspirations. It's what, I, I, it's what came from my head. And you can't say much more about the symbols that I've chosen. But with something like this, it then means, uh, Lois, that you are no longer drawing in the in the in the in in your solitude but there is also an element of opening up to people to say these are the symbols that i've chosen do they make sense what i also enjoyed about this uh, latest uh, event was i was then tasked by the very same coordinators of the awards to write summaries of these thoughts as i was developing the artwork now i love that because it then throws me into new directions I have never really thought of a situation 
where I even sit with the very same artwork that are uh, created out of self-inspiration to sit down and say, this is what this thing was all about. So this exercise was a development from that perspective, that it was no longer just about flashing visuals, but also about being uh, open about what happens inside your mind as an artist to deliver these masterpieces. The rest was history, or the rest is history. What I delivered was probably the best of me. I want to take mm. us in a different direction because I've got a funny feeling we're going to be coming back to that point a little bit later on yes. when we talk about your upcoming book. But I want to talk a yes. little about something a little bit different now. And that is about mm. travel because all of the work that you're doing as a speaker, as an author, as an artist, I know that you travel quite a bit um, with your work, speaking to audiences. Well, yes. maybe not so much at the moment with COVID, but yeah. I, I know that you are out in the world, in South Africa particularly, sharing your work, yeah. sharing your words. Yes. How do you, as a wheelchair user, how do you engage with travel? What are the, the most important things that you need to take into account when you're traveling? Accessibility is always number one. I mean, for any person with a disability, they will tell you that your worst fear is that you're going to get to this place and you can't negotiate the environment. So accessibility will always be number one. And let's take it from when I wake up in the morning. The, the, the first thing is, fortunately for me, I drive. So I will drive myself. Uh, the car is fully accessible given that it has hand controls. I will drive myself to the airport where, and this is where as South Africans, we really need to sit down and, and marvel at how advanced we have become through our own struggle. You will remember Kwasa, Quadroplegic Association of uh, South Africa. They are the ones that gave us those accessibility, uh, the uh, accessibility infrastructure that allows a person in a wheelchair to go straight into an aeroplane without being lifted by anybody. That truck with hydraulics that takes you all the way up. So part of what I then have to do if I'm going to be flying is to make it a point that that system is booked and ready for me. But the, the rest is history. As long as it's booked, I have absolutely no, no, no fuss about any other thing. The airports in South Africa, especially with all these developments, are, are, are fully accessible and fully uh, disability friendly for me to even complain about anything. And then I will land on the other side. If it, it, it means I am not fetched by a friend, it means I should have made preparations for ground transport that is accessible. Uh, again, without any fuss, without anybody handling me, I'm inside the car and I'm off to a hotel room that has been booked in advance and uh, checked in terms of its accessibility and its proximity to the thing. I've never been one that wants to be all over the show when I travel, particularly for motivational talks. So I will always book myself very close to, to, to the venue. Or most of the time, if the venue also doubles up as accommodation, then I will be there. The thing about me is a lot is no longer in my hands. Because what I have to do is draw, write, and deliver these motivational talks. Management in a form of my wife that manages me then handles all of this. But along those lines, 
of just checking and making preparations such that wherever I am, I have no barriers that are going to make it difficult for what you call it, uh, for my participation. Yeah. Do you, but do you... it, most of the time, I also... Uh-huh. Carry on. Sorry, no. I was going to say carry on. Oh, yeah, but but then I'm, I'm, I was never, not because I'm scared of flying. I'm an artist, you need to remember. I'm inspired by changing environments. So most of the time, especially in South Africa, I do take a chance about 70% of the time to say, please do not fly me. I will drive to the venue for, for many considerations. Number one, as an artist, I want to be in an open space where I can literally, uh, what, what, at, at, at a drop of a penny, or at a, at a thought, stop the car to draft the line. Of course, you can do it in an aeroplane, but it's different. If you are an artist, I can stand, I can literally uh, pause in front of a mountain and capture it in art and then see where I will use it for my different uh, deliveries in the future. So I, 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 I love the road. In fact, I strongly believe that part of my personality has been cooked on the road because the road throws you in many di- directions. The, the road also calls on your control. It's the pilot that is in control up in the sky, but on the road, I'm in control. And I uh, can also, as I've indicated, literally dictate the time traveled, the places visited. As an artist, you will find me taking a data sometimes. I also make it a point that if I'm going to be motivating tomorrow and I'm going to be traveling by car, I leave the previous day as early as possible so that I have this whole day to do as I please. At times even visiting because uh, one also leans heavily on networks. If you are writing a book like the one that I've been, uh, that I've just completed, you have your graphic designer in Harry Smith. So I will travel to make it a point that I'm in time in Harry Smith to sit with them and say, hey, then there are many other networks elsewhere. As a business person, you will always have another person that you want to go to before you even settle down for what you have been called for. Yeah, so I, I, I like being in control from that perspective, which is why I will prefer driving most of the time than flying. When yeah. you are busy with your the, the work that you're doing and if you're going to give a motivational speech or something like that, do you find that most of the places that you are speaking in and staying in, that their accessibility needs are well done? Do they meet your needs? Well, I would would be lying if I say all of them, but most of uh, my corporate gigs will always lend themselves in developed infrastructure. You know, know, they'll they'll always be booking your your best hotels. But my motivational talks are not only for corporates. They are also for your usual community school. And one of these schools could easily be, and on any day, be in a rural area. Fact is, we're living in an unequal society where certain sectors of our infrastructure are, are, are much more developed and uh, barrier-free than other environments. You also need to understand that I do not only really go out for motivational talks; I also go out for various other what we call this thing uh, reasons. It would be visiting a community that has said, please just be with us today. And you find that in their proximity, they do not necessarily have a 
a hotel with an accessible, uh, what do you call this thing, a bathroom facility, then you just have to take it and know that these are the signs of development. Other places will accommodate you and others will not. But fortunately for me, in as far as the real uh, lot of what I do, it will always be in urban areas where all of these things are very easy to navigate because the infrastructure is already developed to that extent. Yeah. Many of the people that I've interviewed, who even people from overseas who have been to South Africa, say that yeah. even in areas where our infrastructure isn't as developed as it is in our urban areas, that what is one mm. of our richest assets as South Africans are our incredible people. And their That's very true. Are their willingness, their eagerness to... Mm. to do what they can to mm. be inclusive and engage and to assist. And it's such a lovely you know, this reminds me. That's true. Well, this reminds me uh, of the fact that immediately after my paralysis, and I've also spoken to other people and they also went through the very same uh, emotional turmoil. It was, it was almost, uh, it, it left me feeling very little when someone offered assistance, you now feel like you're a burden. But 25, 26 years after my my paralysis, I think one of the greatest blessings or one of the greatest feelings is when someone whom you do not even know suddenly just starts pushing. And you will be amazed that they do not necessarily push when there is a steep incline. They will be pushing you exactly here. And, and and you discover as this person is pushing that they were actually coming closer just for a chit-chat. Now you discover that they are actually giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself, number one, and number two, for themselves to introduce, uh, for, for, for them to introduce themselves to you. But there's something very interesting that my brother said to me right from the beginning uh, when I still hated uh, strangers pushing me. They said, you know, it's very important sometimes to look at things from a from a, an unusual perspective. When a person is pushing you, you are actually in front of them and leading them. So the responsibility is not on this person to take you anywhere because they could easily drive you to the wall. They, they, uh, they were driving you. They were pushing you. The responsibility is also on you to 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 to, to motion them such that they are led somewhere. So it's actually a leadership exercise in many ways to have a person pushing you and placing them and placing you in front of them. Well, other people are going to say there goes Musa with his motivational lines at, at all times. But that's what my brother said, and it made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> it does yeah. make sense. I've never thought about it in quite those terms. So. Yeah, but those people who were saying South Africans can be very helpful and in that way mitigates these limitations uh, with us. That's really true. I mean, there are many times when when a, a whole village literally followed behind when they were pushing me up, uh, what you call this thing, a gravel road, where my car could not even uh, uh, negotiate to take me closer to that particular school. Wonderful celebratory events or moments. Yeah. Oh, very true. Yeah. We're recording this towards the end of June 2021. 
And last week on a very special day in South Africa as well, special perhaps, it's, it's it's an important day for us to recognize the 16th of June. Um, You did something a little bit different. Tell us about that. (laughs) I don't think it was crazy. I think it was wonderful. Tell us about it. (laughs) I did not even tell anybody until about a day before it happened. I was driving my, my daughter and a friend, and they were talking about wanting to visit Moses Mapida Stadium for bungee jumping. And of course, I was uh, in the last stages of this book and I was thinking, and I thought, wow, you know, it's amazing that ideas will always come at a time when people are talking about something completely different. But then it's related because when you bungee jump, you fly. Yes. So I thought, uh, bungee jumping does not make as much of a statement as in making a fool of yourself and throwing yourself out of an aeroplane, flying kilometers above in the sky. So I said to them, I'm going to skydive. And they started laughing because I mean, I guess children know us exactly for who we are. And my children have come to appreciate and respect the fact that I, I am a bit cuckoo's. That's what they would say when they were still young. He's cuckoo's, crazy, completely crazy. So I made arrangements and, and, and booked. And you know, Lois, it's very important that we also talk about situations in such a way that people understand that we do not just click our fingers and things happen. There is always a support structure that makes these things possible. 25 years after, 26 years after sitting in a wheelchair, I've received so much support and still continue to, to a point where if I have a crazy thought in my mind, someone is always going to listen to this and say, let's make it happen. So I was talking to John Temple. John Temple is a a managing director of TPFS, the best funeral service. You check what I'm trying to say. Now that's John Temple for you. And I say, John, I want to fly. Uh, and, and in that way, make people understand that being in a wheelchair does not necessarily mean your wings have been clipped. He says, when do you want to do this? I say on the 20th to coincide with my uh, 26th uh, anniversary in a wheelchair. He says, let's go for it. And he sponsors me three tickets to fly with whoever that I uh, nominates to come with me. But we couldn't on the 20th because, uh, again, this is where God starts showing you exactly who he is. He started blowing the wind in such a way that everybody thought, ah, it's not going to happen today. Or we're going to have another paralysis in our hands here. So we did not do it on the 20th. And fortunately for me, the 16th became another day when one could make a very big statement. You know, we talk about June 16. We are shown images of people on the ground, some of them already uh, dead. A, a gruesome spectacle which only leaves us thinking people were killed on the day. Not entirely true, but some of them were maimed for life and still remain disabled and isolated up until today. So I needed to make a statement to say, let's not only remember those who died. Of course they died, and it's uh, it's sad that such happened. But death can also rob us of lessons. I remember when uh, I was director of road safety in Wazulu Natal, serving under Spoon Deben. Spoon Deben said, 
death will always rob an individual and other people of lessons of pain that come with the moment. But disability carries those lessons and should be shared at all times. So I wanted people to reflect on that, on the fact that it was not only just Hector Peterson that was shot first. Maybe Hector Peterson was not even the first person that was shot on the day. Maybe the first person that was shot on the day did not necessarily die, but were left with a disability for life. So the skydive experience was all about uh, highlighting that reality. It's it's an interesting metaphor to follow through to mm. to be mindful of those from the 16th of June who yeah. have been disabled, but also mm. in light of the democracy that has come to South Africa since then, yeah. the the flight, the wings, and the freedom that is mm-hmm. so precious to our country. Not yet perfect, mm-hmm. but it's still such mm-hmm. an important symbol, I think, that that plays in for me as well. So you thank you, you very much. Because at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, Lois, we people with disabilities are also called upon to find creative ways. Of, of, of highlighting our struggle. You know, when we did the Tributes Initiative, it was not just about celebrating women with disabilities. Of course, the primary objective will be that because they have achieved so much and should be recognized. But part of it was also just to say to people with disabilities, surely it's not only the doi-doi that has to communicate our struggle. Sometimes, the acknowledgement of who we are by ourselves first, before even another sector thinks about ideas of honoring us, is, 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 is in many ways a much more effective way of amplifying the message than any other way. Maybe that's what I believe in. So the skydive was also just to say, especially to the youth with disabilities, there is so much that you can do, number one, to to to, to, to highlight your realities. And number two, just to dare life. Because at the end of the day, you do not fight stereotype by word of mouth. Sometimes outrageous actions literally take us to a terrain where we are stereotype-free or have confronted it such that it knows exactly who we are. There's a lesson there in overcoming through action. Yeah. Yeah. So you 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 spoke to us about how the skydive came about. Talk us Mm. through the process of the preparations on the day, any training, any special accommodations that you had to be aware of, and go with that first. (laughs) Lois, you need to understand one thing. And I think the person that uh, identified exactly who I, who I am was Bon Jovi way back in 1987 when he said, I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride and wanted dead or alive. Lois, let me tell you something. I do not prepare for adventure, especially when it's outrageous. I do not even want you 
to call me and say, let's practice before it happens because it's going to kill the thrill. So I said to Deb and Skydive, guys, the tickets have been bought. Just tell me which day or, or, or agree on terms in terms of uh, dates and all of that, and I'll present myself. Only thing that I want you to tell me is that there is going to be an experienced uh, instructor who I'm going to be strapped on. Because on my own, I promise you, today we'll be singing another tune. I think that thing would have blown me uh, a couple of kilometers into the sea. And uh, I'm not sure if any steel rescue mission was ever going to find me. So that's the only thing that I just wanted to know. The comfort that there is going to be someone experienced who is going to be seeing us through. I did not even want to know how many kilometers were going to be going up. All I know is we, we must have taken something like 25 minutes of just ascending and going up and up and up. Uh, on the day, the best I did was say a little prayer, tell my family that uh, I am a foolish man and I hope that God is going to forgive me and bring me back safely back to them. We then entered this little aeroplane uh, which took off on a not necessarily gravel because there was a little bit of grass, but you can imagine, uh, especially if, if you have experienced sitting in a wheelchair, sitting in this plane without seats, and it's shooting down this runway and taking off for this 25 minutes of just of disappearing up and up and up. Finally, they tapped me on the shoulder. They said, are you okay? Are you now ready to do this? I said, yes, I am. Uh, harnesses, all of that. We jumped out of the plane for, uh, and the, the package we had bought was for free falling for about 40 seconds. Those 40 seconds, Lois, I don't think in my entire, in my entire life I've ever experienced any rush more than what I felt as we were shooting at 25, no, 240 kilometers per hour towards the earth, ex completely exhilarating. Of course, frightening. I mean, you don't do these things if you do not have an element of fear, but not the fear that it was the end of days. Fear that I had put myself in an experience where I had completely abdicated all sense of control. You know, I needed that. Sometimes I'm a bit of a control freak, to be honest with you. I needed something that just allowed me to be. And I also just needed faith in another that they would see me through and land us safely. When he opened, when he finally opened that parachute, I think my first words were, are you crazy? <laughs> I said that to the instructor. I said, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Because it was, it was crazy, honestly, and it was beautiful. And when I later saw the video, uh, those 40 seconds were probably the ugliest I've ever looked my whole life. <laughs> but it was wonderful, guys. I mean, I would do it again. I even went back to my sponsors to say, hey, <laughs> the people seem to have well received, uh, to have received this skydive experience quite positively. Can I please skydive into every single province where I'm going to be signing my books? <laughs> Oh, wow. Whether they are going to say yes to that, uh, I still do not know. But I, I honestly would just love dropping from the sky because it's also pretty symbolic. 
when disability drops from the sky, and we've always thought that it's uh, uh, meteors that can ever drop from the sky, and we, we we have always respected them. Then a disabled meteor must be something that many are quite going to be talking about for a lifetime. Yeah. I love the idea. I think you might struggle a little bit with the Cape Town wind, but we'll see if we can arrange a <laughs> decent day for you to come and Let's see what can happen. <laughs> Otherwise, the, 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 the last thing that I would, uh, I would ever wish to see happening is the wind slowly drifting me towards Robben Island, especially after it was closed as a, as a, as a prison. <laughs> well, there's yeah. something symbolic there as well, but at least nowadays, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, be able to get back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> wonderful! Wow, yes, nice. such an experience for you. Mm. I want to talk about something different. I've got so many different things that I want to ask you about, but I want to. I have your. About... I, I, you have me for the whole day today. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be about a 45-minute podcast, but I think we might extend <laughs> that a little you, bit because you deserve it. The editing so, will be up to you. Yes. <laughs> and I've kept you waiting long enough for this interview. Uh, exactly, Lois. You could have given me 45 years. Yeah. <laughs> you would have been very young when we started then, both of us. <laughs> I want to talk about something yes, else right. that I think is something that you do and is a very beautiful um, project that you have, and that is your Santa Wheels project. Tell us a little bit about Santa Wheels and particularly about your trips on the Hau train. Mm. You know, Lois, it was uh, about three months after my paralysis and I bought myself a car in 1995. Everybody was so happy, except for my sister, Babongili, who had just uh, graduated as a medical doctor uh, in 94. Yes, 94. She came to me and she said, you know, Musa, now that you have a car, let's, let, let's start being constructive. I mean, remember, I was 23 years old, now driving a BMW in a wheelchair, head swelling, anything was possible. And she said, you are going to commit to three days in a week of going to hospitals. Well, she, she, she would be working in these different uh, hospitals around Devon to talk to young people with disabilities who have just been newly disabled. And I'm looking at my sister and thinking, number one, I still don't want to be a part of this sector. Number two, I've just bought myself a BMW. Now you are taking me back to this. And she said, it has to be. Because you are not going to be free and not share these lessons. So just start with it. It was more of an instruction than, than a plea. And I had to follow. I mean, I come from a family where we've always spoken truth to each other. She seemed to be very truthful. And maybe something said to me, this could be a way of opening up to people with disabilities because, I mean, honestly, I still just did not want nothing to do with it. On my first day at Prince Mshieni Hospital, I thought I'd only come to speak to one guy, only to discover that when I entered the ward, the, 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 the lady in charge introduced me to everybody in this ward and said, this is Dr. Zulu's uh, 
a brother. He has come to talk to you about disability. <laughs> and remember, I have nothing to say about disability. So what happened, Lois, was I decided, because I do not have much to say, let me take this whole word out, because it, fortunately for me, it was men, young men, and show them my car. So I showed them the car and quickly discovered that this was not about showing off. This was actually about allowing a young man to, to feel a sense of freedom. Amazingly, nobody said anything. And I would be taking one by one, you know, driving around this uh, parking lot. And nobody bothered us. It ended up, what I thought was only going to be about an hour, ended up as the whole afternoon. And now, the amazing thing about it is you come out of this experience and these guys are now your friends, which means you are most probably going to be coming back to see them. And this is many different hospitals in Wazulunata. And I started enjoying it. Number one, I started seeing that in my pain, I could also be someone else's hope. And number two, it then, it then opened me or opened my eyes to the realities of a person in hospital. And what touched me the most were especially the kids. I remember visiting one day in 2006 and there was this little child. It was December, the first of season. The ward was almost empty with just a few uh, patients and this child. And I remember thinking to myself, this child is going to be in December when all others are going to be opening Christmas presents. And I made up my mind right there and then that it was going to be my responsibility to make it upon that a child with a disability in hospital, at least as a December to remember. I went to the Guazulu Natal Department of Health, who were very welcoming. I said, I want to collect toys that I'm going to distribute to all of the provincial hospitals particularly to children with disabilities. A child without a disability is going to be very happy, if at all. He's going to be lucky, if at all, next to them is a child with a disability because I can't really be giving a toy to this one and not to that one. East Coast Radio then jumped on board. And this is 2007, by the way. Beach Freight Port Operations said, it's a beautiful idea. We are going to go to Toys and for, uh, uh, to toy, Toys are Us. The toys for us, or toys are us, toys are us, and, and uh, strike a partnership on your behalf. And they gave me these toys. And you're talking, talking about 2000, the year 2007, all the way to the year 2010, where the province of Wasulu Natal was behind me all the way. Your East Coast Radio, your Abner's Furnitures, your Beach Freight Port Operations, and many other little stakeholders that would chip in with one, two, three. And we took these gifts to every child with a disability in Wazul Natal during the festive season, those that were in hospital. Then in 2010, when, when the program uh, was already established, I mean, we already had three years of doing this, I said to a friend, in future, I would love to see a situation where I am not the only Santa Will, Santa Will, but there are all other people with disabilities in many different areas take up the uniform and uh, do this on an annual basis. But in order to do that, we're going to have to take this program to another level and find ourselves a sponsor that is high profile number one, 
and a sponsor that is going to be dedicated. We then approached the How Train. The How Train had just uh, been introduced in 2010 as a fully accessible train uh, in terms of disability accommodation. And they were very welcoming. Up until today, the How Train drives Santa Wheels in what you call it in, 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 in Johannesburg, giving us toys and also accommodating in their many other coaches, the other toys that were given by the other sponsors that also chip in on the side. It has been beautiful. And you literally, you literally are always humbled by the fact that it started with you not wanting to do it. And now it has ended up with you influencing other people to want to do it. Such is growth. And maybe such is lessons that come with our disabilities. We really want to kick them out through the window at first uh, experience. But with time, the very same thing that we wanted to, wanted nothing to do with, literally defines the best of us. How many times are you going to be blessed with a moment of handing over a toy to a child that looks at you with appreciation and an understanding that even in a world of such negative stereotypes, they have their own father figure. You know, we hear so many stories of difficult times and bad things happening. It's always good to be reminded of the generosity and humanity of people. And I think that we don't hear enough of those stories. Especially if it's the bad that has brought the best out of us. You know, Lois, let me tell you something amazing. Not once was I ever given an award when I was still walking. Not even for walking fast, but it is it is the very same disability that has seen me receiving awards and being acknowledged by society. But it's not the disability that has done that. It's the handling of the disability and using it as an instrument for change that has enabled others to sit up, look, and say, maybe this is worth supporting, or even this is worth acknowledging. My message to people has always been that be very weary to divorce yourself from experiences that are uncomfortable to you. Maybe sit still, learn from them, and you will be amazed that they were actually, they've actually come to be, to challenge you to see the positive in the negative or to generate the positive in the negative. Because sometimes the negative really does not come with any positive. It is up to you then to generate the energy that is going to transform everything into a positive that is also uh, 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 possible to share. Wow. You keep leaving me almost speechless, and I am saying almost because I'm... I'm a motivational speaker, Lois. Yes, so you are. (laughs) (laughs) And a very good one. (laughs) But I I want to take us back to something that we spoke about earlier your book that's Mm. going to be launched in the next few weeks. Tell us about Ah. the book and, well, the book, what people can expect and how they can get hold of a copy or copies for themselves. In in, in 2004, I released my uh, autobiography, The Language of Me, and whoa, people love that book. In fact, that book has become a bit of a, what do you say in English, an albatross around your neck? Is there anything like that? 
Yeah, with every other book that I've written, with every other book that I've written, even when I'm signing this book, someone always comes to me and says, "Hey, but the language of me was the best." <laughs> and and you are sitting there and thinking, "My God, I'm 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 launching a new book here, and people are still talking about yesterday." So it was it was always at the back of my mind to say, "I can produce a book and say to many people." This one is certainly going to be better than the language of me by far. And how do you do that? By simply leaning on the shoulders or yeah, on the shoulders of the very same giant that people are always talking about. How do you do that? Number one, by taking its style of delivery to come out with something completely new and also acknowledging it as you go through because a lot of what has happened has actually been because of the language of me. Now, if people think the language of me was successful, then I can promise you one thing. They do not know much about how it propelled me to being the person that I am today. So this book that I've written is actually about how all of what people know is actually not known. Some of the milestones that I have gone through and some of the achievements that that book has allowed me to enjoy amazing. And if you can write a book out of the amazing that another one has uh, given to you, then God knows, unless of course you, you, have, you have lost your sense of touch with words, then God knows that you have produced a book much better than the other one by far. And remember, it's not only the language of me that is a book that I've written. The language of me also spawned Wheels on the Sole of My Shoes, Wheels on the Sole of My Shoes, which spawned Mastering the Art of Self-Motivation. Now, many people do not necessarily know this, the story behind this chain. And this book is the story behind the chain. How do you come to, to draw to a point where your artwork are the only ones decorating a corporate building in South Africa? How do you draw to a point where a corporate believes we can take the trophy and put it aside. It's his artwork that should be the, 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 the award uh, the, on the occasion. Now, this book is all about that. The language of me never touched on that. The language of me only spoke about how I was grappling with the changes and how I was trying my best to keep a positive face and also to nurture, nurture a positive vision for the future. This book is about how that positive vision has been nurtured to a point of where we are. Remember, the language of me was written before tributes where we honor women with disabilities. This book traces the evolution of the thoughts of, 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 of honoring women with disabilities and all the other networks that have come, uh, that have come through after that experience. I mean, look at us right now. We are talking. It wouldn't have been if it were not for what you call this thing, for tributes. And tributes is not in the language of me. Now you can imagine how loaded this one is because of so many other things that have happened to take us to where we are today. I wanted to celebrate in a way that makes sense to me. And what makes sense to me is the ability to trace my evolution in a way that makes sense to me, number one, as an individual, and in a way where I can develop lessons to share with another person next to me. This is a beautiful book. It's not only about motivational lessons, but how I also use arts to originate these motivational lines that I speak to all of you. 
Because at the end of it, at the end of the day, I'm an artist first before any other thing. The title of the book is I'm Art. The 40th anniversary is a you will remember when we started with this interview that I said I started drawing in 1979. Mm. And uh, in 2009, when 40 years had uh, been realized, I thought, let me sit down now and tell people how we've come here. Of course, I'm going to take them back to the language of me because that's when all doors started opening. But I'm also going to make them understand that that book did not necessarily open doors. It made me capable of opening doors. Because that's the other thing that we need to always balance in our story. It's not things that give me the ability to go through. It's myself that finds the energy to push that door or even lift that hand to insert that key tenant and then make the door come out. What do you call this thing? Make the door open. And I believe that as artists or as writers or even as people, we owe it to the next child to make them understand how the magic happens or how opportunities are exhausted to the maximum or how uh, possibilities can be impossible if we do not action our vision after having seen it in our, in, in our sleep or in our dreams. I've always wanted to write a book like this and it pleases me that it has, it has finally happened. And it honors me that this is no longer just about my lines. Because remember, after the language of me and all of these books and after 40 years of drawing, it's, not, it's no longer you that literally says who you are. It's a range of other people, people in social media posting that line. This book is a, I mean, you would have to read it to understand, Lois, but I, I believe that I've quoted more than a thousand uh, posts that have been sent to me talking about my work and how, how certain things that I've done have inspired me without even interrupting the the, 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 the storyline. Now, the beautiful thing about that is it no longer becomes your lines, but everybody's lines who have written this book together. This is what I'm going to be saying to people when I finally meet them, because a lot of the other people that's, whose lines are, are, are sampled and uh, uh, what we call this thing, uh, dropped in this book, will be coming for this book signings. Including you, Lois, by the way. I'm sorry to have to tell you this. There are two pages that are specifically dedicated to you. Remember, it's not the first time that you and I are working today. We've even worked on your on, on the forward of your book, a different way of seeing. All of mm -hmm. that is in this book. And I've always wondered, and as I say, I'm happy that it is, it is finally here. A book to say, it has not only just been about me. It has been about all of these support structures and how they've made it possible for me to come this far. Yeah. And where are people going to get the book? They are going to be getting it straight from me. I am tired of, of, of these bookshops that take 50% of my work before I even see it. Then there's a book distributor that comes to steal another 30% and I'm left with 20%. It's very true because we are all individual people within a much wider and broader community and as artists as mm -hmm. writers as speakers without a community we are mm -hmm. less than we are with our people so i think that's a very beautiful that's very true. Of portraying it you said you were thinking that's very true you said you were thinking of skydiving into each province. Do you know yet when you will be in different places for people to get their copies of the book? 
Are you able to share uh, that with us? I'll be very honest with you. You know, the, the ground has been shifting under our feet for quite some time now. You know, when the president announced the lockdown stage three, uh, what we call it, uh, recently, it, it also just started pushing us way back. I must be very honest with you, I love crowds. I think there's something magical about being in a crowd. Yeah. I remember in 2016, when I was in Johannesburg at that uh, Book of Souls, I made a world tour. I have never felt so much at home, Lois. Now, unfortunately, with this coronavirus, we can't have a mega showdown like that. And we have had just to push ourselves back all the time. But the beautiful thing about that is it allowed us maximum time to perfect the book. We're still going to, through social media and other uh, outlets, announce exactly where one is going to be. At this point in time, it's a matter of printing, sitting down to really finalize the dates, and then we'll take it from there. But this book, I'm honestly uh, not uh, flinching one bit uh, about the decision that I've made. It's not going to go to the bookshelves. Instead, I'm going to take it out on a national book tour where I honestly wish to meet the very same people that I've quoted here and many others that have been supporting me through the years. Let's, yeah. let's hope that that will be happening soon. And maybe it's a good Very time. soon. I mean, as, as I said, yeah, as I said, we're already printing. End of the month, the volumes are going to be here. And maybe we should encourage people to connect with you on social media because I'm sure you'll be um, putting out social media posts on Facebook and things like that. So maybe now is a good time to say to you, how can people keep track of what you're doing and how can they reach out to you if they'd like to know more you about your work? Number one, because I need people to call me, I'm going to say my, 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 my cell number in slow motion. It's 0833345. 8729. You can order the book directly from me, or you can go to my website. The website is www.valhalaarts. If you watch the Vikings, you will not miss the spelling. It's V A L. Why are you laughing, Lois? <laughs> okay, let me say Valhalla as in V A L. H A double L double A R T S. It will read as Valhalla Arts. So it's www.valhallaarts at gmail.com. Not at gmail.com. Lois, help me here. I'm a Zulu. Sometimes I trip on these things. Okay. My email address is valhallaarts at gmail.com, but the website is valhallaarts.com. Right. You will find me on Facebook at Musa Izulu, the very same thing, uh, Twitter, Musa Izulu, and hopefully no other person has registered an E. I see a lot of Musa Zulus, but Musa Izulu still seems to be just me. We are going to be communicating with you throughout, uh, through all of those platforms to tell you exactly where to get the book. Mainstream media as well. I, 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 I also believe that the news sometimes really gets 
things out there as soon as possible. So your morning lives, uh, I have friends there. Uh, I will rush over to them and say, in the morning, tell everybody that this is where I'm going to be. But straight from the beginning of next month, we're going to make it a point that everybody knows exactly what you find in the book. Oh, and one more other thing. I have three copies that I've, to- that I've told myself to be kept aside, which are going to be couriered to Lois Strachan. I'm, I'm holding the copy of the book in front of me right now. <laughs> these are going to be sent to, these are going to be sent to Lois Strachan to, to give to three of, of your listeners. Well, that's I would love to do this. Thank you so much. We yes. really appreciate that. That sounds wonderful. Wow, we have spoken about all sorts of different conversations and thoughts and ideas and and places in this conversation. Musa, thank you. Thank you for the time that you've spent with us. And thank you for sharing so much of your experiences. We've touched on aspects of travel and art and Mm. All, all different types of art, in fact. But thank you for sharing a little of your your life with us. And we wish you every success with I Am Art. And we'll definitely thank you. Thank, you thank you very much to you, Lois. Today's travel quote is from singer Grace Jones, who said, I just go with the flow. I follow the yellow brick road. I don't know where it's going to lead me, but I follow it. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, and we will see you next time. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za Editing by Craig Strachan using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow based on a motive by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on A Different Way of Travelling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.